You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Let's get our Bibles out this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, if you'll turn there today, Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'll just will say again that um, the book of Ephesians have really, has really been a blessing to me as a pastor um, to open my eyes to some things that I, I've pastored for a lot of years now, and, um, and it's not like I didn't see some of these things, but in the order that God seems to bring them to us and lays it out so carefully, using a man like the Apostle Paul, it's just, it's been an extra blessing for my heart. I, I just hope Eastside, we as a church can take what we've been learning from um, this, we call it an epistle, a letter from Paul to these people, and grow from it, and that our church can be the better for it, and we can be the stronger uh, as individuals uh, because of it as well. You'll have to forgive me, this past week I had a bug and um, um, kind of got over it, kind of, um, and just a little at the point where I'm just a little jittery. I don't know why the, the jitters are there. But um, so be very forgiving for me for that here this morning. But um, again, I'm excited to be in, in the book of Ephesians. So chapter 5, if you'll look there, let's uh, start in verse 1. We're going to read through the first six verses. And I hope that you remember the previous chapter. We have gotten to a place where Paul took three chapters or what was in that day, his uh, first half of his letter that he wrote, and told the disciples, the Christians here, that, look, here's what doctrine is. This is what God has done for us. Here's our standing in the Lord, chapters 1 to 3, the doctrinal part of it. But he gets into chapter 4, 5, and 6 and makes it practical and says, now that you know the rock-solid truth about your Christian life and your walk and your foundation... Here's how it's supposed to look like in action inside the church. So we got into chapter 4, and last week, if you were with us, we wrapped up chapter 4, and we saw, man, so clearly how Paul was showing us that there's just portions of, the, of our life that needs to be made sure it's set aside, and other things that we need to make sure is at work in our life, because it's... Uh, it's Christianity, it's the truths that we stand on in action. I really fear uh, that Christianity in general has become, in some cases, really good at knowing their doctrine, but don't know how to live it out, or are not practicing now what you are. And here's Paul's words, uh, now that you know who you are, here's how we need to be living it out. So Eastside Baptist Church, this is, this is for us. This is how God expects us to look. Again, if somebody peeked in the back doors of our church, and it would be easy with the glass doors, and watched us week in and week out, and watched us in our activities, in our Sunday school classes, and so on, and, and our church in action, um, they should be able to see these uh, characteristics and traits at work in our, in our lives. So are we imitators of Christ or of the world? And that's how I'm going to title uh, my message this morning. Are we imitators of Christ or the world? Verse 1, uh, chapter 5. 
Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. He's so specific, and all of his wording is, I think, really necessary. Again, be therefore followers of God and do that as dear children. And so if you're going to do that and you're going to imitate Christ, here's one of the first ways he tells us how to do it. And he goes through the rest of the chapter and gives other ways that it's supposed to look as well. Today we're only going to take this one thought uh, in verse 2, and walk in love, mimic the love of Christ. So, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Again, all that wording is so important for us to understand so that we can implement it somehow in church here. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, and notice how he qualifies that. He's not saying never tell a joke, but he says, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then we'll end here in verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, people who are not saved. They don't know Christ as Savior. And so he's saying that's the way they act because that's who they are. We are not like that, so we need to act like the first portion that he gave to us here this morning. Let me have a word of prayer and we'll share the message today. God, thank you again bringing us here to the house of God. And as we open our hearts and souls to you, Lord, we're asking that the Holy Spirit will make right impressions in our hearts and give us the ability to mimic Christ from our heart and soul. And just bless, may the Holy Spirit be very present in every life here today, I pray in Christ's name, amen. Um, so are we imitators of Christ or of the world? I, um, hundreds of examples, and you folks who have kids can come up with dozens of them yourself, I'm sure. But um, back in the day, I, had, uh, I would get off uh, from teaching the Christian school, and, um, and I would run home as fast as I could, Okay, I'd drive home, and then I would get in the house, change my clothes, and go tearing back out of the house with my hunting boots and my orange uh, coat on and orange cap and my uh, shotgun in hand, and I would take off to get to a hunting area as quickly as I possibly could to try to find a pheasant before it got dark. And it got, as you know, gets dark fast in the fall. And, and so I would come back, and sometimes I'd come back successful and, and be carrying in a pheasant, and the, our girls would toddle up um, and want to see the pheasant and then mom tried to make them scared of dead things and oh, don't touch those things and I'm like let them see this so they wanted to see the pheasants and and um, uh, it, it was a fun time and I remember I sat down at the couch and I took my boots off and uh, my hunting boots and there was seeds from the weeds and everything probably down inside and everything and cockleburrs on the who knows what a cockleburr is oh my goodness yeah I see the frown on your face um, in the shoelaces, and I'd set those down and go in the bedroom and change. And I remember this one particular time I had come back out, 
and I, I, don't even, I don't remember which girl it was, but um, they had managed somehow to get my, they had to sit down, knock my boots over because they were as tall as their legs were, and had gotten into them and were trying their best to stand up. Um, it, it, their, their little legs wouldn't bend, and somehow, someway, they got stood up, and the top of the boot um, came all the way up to their di- diaper, I hope it was dry, but... Um, and we're trying to toddle around the house. And I remember how funny that looked to me. And they would go and try to get my orange jacket I would, would wear and, and put it on and walk around the house. And I sat and chuckled and I said, get the camera. I think we might even have some pictures of those, uh, those days. But uh, I took a picture and stood back and watched them walking around. And it hit me so hard that one day they will be walking in the steps that I have laid out for them and one day they're going to follow their dad and their mom in our footsteps it was a it was a really sharp prick to my heart to stop and realize they want to follow me they want to walk in my footsteps they're walking in my boots so to speak uh, uh, Gabe Gabe are you in here yesterday Gabe was telling me that I think you went to the closet and grabbed your hoodie I think it was and and then little uh, Brindley wanted hers and then came time to take it off and then it was time for her to take it off too and then she watched daddy lay it across something on the couch or something she wanted hers laid across the same way it's amazing how our kids will mimic what they see their mom and daddies do now sometimes we'll say amen to that and other times we'll say oh me you know don't don't do what i do just do what i tell you to do all right um so that doesn't always work either But here we are as dear children of Jesus Christ, of God the Heavenly Father, if I could put it that way, Christ my brother, uh, uh, God my Heavenly Father. And it's so clear this morning, I hope you can see that this is just like God looking us as a church in the eyes and saying, will you walk like I walk? I'm I'm telling you, uh, verse 1, be followers of God as dear children would follow their mommies and daddies and as they do what mom and daddy do and they want to be like their dad i i'm telling you watch the steps that i take god says and i want my children to walk like i walk i need you to act like i act and now that the the body of christ himself physically is in heaven he still has a church which is called the body of christ on this earth that is supposed to look and act like Jesus acted while he was here on this earth. I've said this the last several weeks. The way a whole congregation begins to do that is that every individual takes this personally and you determine that I'm going to, me, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live and and let others worry about themselves. Don't look across the way when the preacher's preaching about how, uh, you know, we're supposed to act and you're looking at so-and-so saying, yeah, He or she really needs to get that point. No, when we decide, I am going to live the way God wants me to live, and we each are doing that, that's how a whole body of believers start looking like Jesus. Being, therefore, followers of God, all right? And you know what? It's okay to toddle around and not get it just right. It's okay that you're maybe fresh or new with something or maybe coming off of a position in your life where you've not been living like you should for God, but now you're coming back to it. I loved, 
I didn't rebuke my little daughter in my boots trying to walk like daddy. And God doesn't rebuke us for the way we toddle around either trying to get it right and, and falling and getting back up and trying to keep on serving God. God loves when his children are trying to take those steps. At least you're in the process of growing. And that's what God is looking for with this congregation here today out of your life as well this morning. Notice number one, if we're going to be imitators of Christ, he gives us there in verses one and two uh, the command that we're supposed to walk in love. If I'd looked at my little daughter and I'd said, uh, you know, uh, Amber, uh, you, need to, you need to look like daddy, and uh, the way I want you to do that is to put my boots on and, and that orange jacket, and then walk around the house with my cap that falls over your face. I want you to do that. And that's how uh, I would want her to demonstrate that she wants to be like dad. The father looks at us today and says, here's the way I want you to look like me. Verse 2, I want you to do it by walking in love. That's what a body of believers does. When Jesus Christ is the one that is projecting its energy or his life through us, you cannot help but look like somebody that loves one another. And, and I don't mean just your family sitting beside you or the friends that you know the best in a congregation. Jesus loved every one of us, John three sixteen. He so loved the world that he gave his life for every one of us. And now he says, I need somebody on this earth, I need a body on this earth that will do the same thing now that I'm in heaven. And I want this body of believers to demonstrate my love to everybody that's okay in this building. We can't get to everybody on the face of the earth, but we can reach those that are in this building and the people that we work with and live with and so forth. And God is clearly telling me today, He's telling you today, you need to do what I do and love everybody. And you say, well, you got to know some qualifications here about some people that are in this building. Just let me tell you what they're like. Well, we'll get into that. And God gets into that very clearly and says, I know what you're going to tell me. And I already know what they're like. And then he, he walks us through that. All right. So again, the word followers in verse one, it's the same word, be therefore followers of God. It's the same word that we get our English word mimic from. I, I want you to mimic me. I want you to act like me. Watch what I do and then make look like I look is what he is saying. And the implication is obvious. We are to be followers or imitators of Jesus Christ. And I, you say, be like Jesus. <laughs> me? And uh, I can't be like God. He was God. And obviously you cannot do that. But with Jesus Christ in us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. And when you learn how that this life is not about you, it's not about me, that I can die and, and, and let somebody else live their life through me, you'll find out it's a very natural thing for, supernatural thing, for Christ to begin living his life through us and looking just like him. So uh, otherwise, guys, we're just acting like Christ on the outside when we're not really imitating him. We're just imposters. You know, we try to do it on the outside, but it's not coming from inside here. And, and, and we're being a fake. You know, the Bible calls it hypocrites. So you're there in chapter 5. Can you go back one verse? If you're in verse 1, go back one verse. That puts you in verse 32 of chapter 4. 
And when you look at verse 32 there, you can see very clearly why Paul is urging us to be like Christ. Look at how this verse was worded. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, listen to this one, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And he sticks that finger right in your heart. It says, just the way Christ has forgiven you, now I want you to live your life out that way. And that's why Paul is urging us to, to be like Christ because of the attitude that he had for us. And guys, when you stop and ponder everything that Jesus Christ has done for us with such abandonment of himself, it's most humbling. I mean, it's, it even stirs my heart to know that I know how I've lived my life and I know the things that I would be humiliated if everybody knew everything about me. But I know the one that knows everything about me and all that I've ever said and ever done. And he still loves me. I mean, deeply he loves me. And still knew all those things and still was willing to go to the cross and die for me. I mean, that ought to do something to your heart and your life and say, while he would do that for me, I want to be like him. That's the kind of person I want to live my life like. Have you ever seen somebody in life? Oh, it could be something like, Maybe a kid's getting picked on at a lunch table, and then I, I've seen it uh, where uh, a football player uh, on the team would get up and go and sit down beside the kid being picked on and kind of looked at the other guy who was picking on him. This guy was going by, everybody got a piece of cake in, in, uh, for lunch this day at school, and this guy was going along poking his finger in everybody's cake. Well, who wants to eat their cake then? He goes, you don't want that, do you? I need to take their cake. And I remember this football player getting up and coming and sitting down beside the kid that was being picked on. And he kind of looked up at the guy like, go ahead and do it to my cake. And the guy just walked away. And the guy, football player, sat there beside uh, this little measly looking guy. It wasn't me. It was another guy in school. But sat down beside this guy and just was friends with him. And he didn't have to look at me and say, you ought to be like this. He didn't have to say that, but I'm telling you, it registered in my heart. Wow, I want to be like that. And when you see what Christ has done for you, and you know your life, you know what you've said and done in life. How would you like it to be put on a screen up here? Everything we've ever said and done, those ugly moments in our life, and yet to know that God forgave me and you for all those things and still loves us that makes me want to be like him it stirs my heart up um you don't have to tell me to love my girls that's it's going to be a natural um i mean i I really love my daughters and and now my grandchildren and uh oh yeah now my son-in-laws i i i they're okay I love them. They're all coming home for Christmas. Uh, hopefully, I'll get to see them. Um, we're pretty excited about that, and uh, we're ready for our, is it 70 extra people that's going to be in our house? Okay. It's a big number uh, in our house, and, and I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's it's going to be a real blessing, and I my heart will just overflow. It really will. I'll be full. And, um, you know, when the grandkids are, you know, filling the living room and I've had about enough I'll I'll go work in the shed for a little while <laughs> they got lots of energy but I will love them to death I really really will
But God says, look in verse, let's see, verse 1 again, be ye therefore followers of God. Now notice the wording, as dear children. I want you, he says, and I'll, I'll make it very personal to us, I want you as a church to love one another like a daddy loves his girls and would do anything for them. And I, there's just not anything I can think of that I wouldn't probably try to do to be a help to them. I'm not talking about spoiling them and things like that. I'm talking about if they were in genuine need and I, I was one of the, you know, the last resorts, I would do anything I could to try to help them. That's the way a father does to little children. And God says, I want us as a church He's talking to these Ephesians and the churches that are reading this letter. And so Eastside, to our church, he says to us, I want you to love each other like that. Like dear children, uh, and, and understand that you, you're, you have a heavenly father that gave his life for you, and I want that love to spread across the congregation. Can you imagine being in a church that loves one another and the people in their lives like that? I would run to that church. I'd drive 100 miles to be a part of that church if I just found a congregation that, number one, and, and that's already settled, had their doctrine right. That's chapters one to three. But learn to love one another the way God wants us to love each other. That's what God wants from this church here this morning. All of us, let Jesus love through us. And then Paul describes, you know, well, how extensive is that love supposed to be? Well, he clarifies that pretty good too. In verse 2, look at it, and notice how he lays everything out. And walk in love, and then he kind of breaks it down here a little bit, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, and here's the big one for me, this one really convicted me, uh, for a sweet-smelling savor. Okay, so that's how Christ loved us. And that's the extent. That's how, that's the way I'm supposed to love you. That's the way you're supposed to love one another, husbands and wives and, and, and parents to children and children to parents. It's a command from God. You're supposed to love each other like I just showed you here, as Christ also hath, and then he laid it out for us. Supposed to be done in the same manner that Christ loved us. And let's unwrap that here for just a minute. How many of you knows uh, Romans 5, 8. I'm not going to call on you to say it here this morning, but if you do know it and you're willing to quote it out loud with me, would you? It's part of the Romans road, and if you've uh, grown familiar with it and willing to quote that, uh, let's say Romans 5, 8 out loud together, all right? But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word uh, commendeth means to demonstrate, and God says, I want to show you my love. Somebody asked the question, God, how much do you love us? And somebody said, well, he proved that when he stretched his arms out and died. He demonstrated his love for us on Calvary. And that's what it means, but God commendeth, or he proved, or, you know, uh, demonstrated his love for us in this way, that while he looked at us and saw us being dirty, rotten sinners, he still came and died for us. Now, just bear that in mind. So Christ loved us, guys, while we were yet sinners. I mean, while we were still very unlovely, while we were still like lepers, and like the Bible said in the Old Testament, all of our righteousnesses, 
when God looked at us, were as filthy rags. It's been a while since I've you know, described what that, one of the descriptions of what that is. It's uh, uh, the kind of filthy rag he's probably describing here is when a leper would have those ugly sores and his fingers would begin to fall off at each knuckle and, and things were really, really bad. They, all they could do was wrap their arm in a, in a rag. And then when it would got soaked with, you can just imagine, they would unwrap that filthy rag and walk over to a fire and drop it in and look for another rag to wrap back around the sores of, uh, of that leprosy. And God says, here's the way all of your goodness is. When I looked in your heart to find anything good or anything righteous about you, he said, all your righteousnesses were as filthy rags. And while I was like that, putrid, there's not a person in here who'd want to touch that rag for any reason and yet God came to us and said while you're like that I love you enough to go ahead and die for you in that state I mean that's quite an ugly bucket list that God was willing to to do for us it's a lot to overlook in the lives of others to be willing to love them to overlook so many things in our lives but that's what the love of Jesus looks like I mean even today now that we're saved and I mean, I'm born again, and I'm a part of the family of God, and you are as well. You still have some pretty ugly days. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens out of that comment, but I, as Christians, we still do unchristlike things. And there's times that um, my wife or my children could have been very ashamed that's some of my actions and maybe some words that blurted out of my mouth or, and, and even worse, we, we know how life can get, can get really bad. But I got up that next morning living like that and there was food in the cupboard and in the fridge. I had breath in my lungs. I had, I had health. If it rained outside, it rained at my house as well, along with everybody else. What are you trying to say? That while I live even as a Christian in a backslidden condition and I'm not right with God, God still loves me and provides for me and takes care of me. And you say, well, well in, in our church or in my family or at our home, I don't care where the setting is, wherever you are as a Christian are trying to live your Christianity out. You might be able to say, preacher, you'd need to know what it's like at my house. You need to know what I hear at my house and what happens in our home and what it's like to be married to or, or to go to this church and see this or you fill the blanks in, okay? Whatever it is, God looks at us and says, but you need to remember, I'm telling you to love your brethren like I love you. And when you're not right with me, and, and you've not lived like you ought to be living for me, and you know there's sin in your life, I still love you, and I pour my blessings on you undeservingly anyway. And he says to me and you today, that's the way I want you to live it out at church, at the house of God, at your home, so that Christ can be seen in you and not the world that is trying to demonstrate its life through us. Here's a big one to me. Jesus didn't love us simply because of the return that he was going to get out of it. Jesus wasn't worried if I responded negatively to him. 
And I did many times. He didn't need my love to make him feel worthy. His identity with the Father fulfilled that for him. But he went ahead loving me. I mean, how many of you got saved after you were 20 years old? Let's see your hands. You were saved after you were 20 years old. How many of those same hands had heard the gospel before, though, before the time you got saved? You'd heard it before, I'm just curious, and still rejected him and still shoved him away, and he still loved you. He still kept coming at you. So if I'm to love you like Christ loved me, when you reject me, when you treat me in ways that people ought not to treat one another, it's not saying be somebody that's willing to be beaten up all your life. He's not saying be somebody that loves pain and all those stupid thoughts like that. But what he is saying, life is going to be full of people who are not right. And until we get to heaven, nobody's going to be perfect. And while you're living in an imperfect world and in an imperfect church and in an imperfect home and in an imperfect body yourself, just understand somebody needs to love the unlovely like God loved us. Somebody needs to still show the attitude of Jesus Christ through them. And God is saying, I want my children to imitate me like that. He's looking worldwide for somebody willing to lay their own life down and stop demanding that you be everything for me. But realize that I just gave my life for you and I'm looking for Christians and the church in a town that will give their lives like that. Don't try loving people expecting something in return. It's really nice when you get it back. It's really good. But love them because of our relationship with the Father. That's the way Jesus loved us. And when we are secure in our relationship with Him, the lack of loving response from somebody else will not affect my dedication to them. Man, how church members need to get that. How husbands and wives need to get that. How parents and children need to to get that. If I only love you for what I can get out of you, then you're going to be a miserable Christian in this life. But if I can love you because Jesus loves me, and give my life and lay my life down to let Jesus be seen in my life, you'll find the greatest joy you've ever been searching for. Giving your life away for others. I want you to notice also this was a sacrificial love. Look there in verse 2 again. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, So it's really a a big deal to get this and understand that if I'm going to be a a mimic the love of Christ, then I have to understand the way he loved me was a sacrificial love where you, I've already said it, you lay your life down for somebody. Please understand this. And it went on to say at the end of that verse uh, that an offering and a sacrifice to God, listen, for a sweet-smelling savor. I mean, when I was putrid and disgusting and I smelled like something that came out of a sewer as far as righteousness went and because of my sins, Jesus knew that anything that I was going to try to offer him also stunk. I didn't have anything I could give to God. My righteousnesses were as filthy rags and everything about me was wrong and I had nothing sweet smelling to offer to God. So... Jesus was willing to lay his own life down as a sacrifice for me so that there would be a sweet odor for God to smell. 
instead of smelling me. Does that make sense to you? If I was a stench to God, the only way I'm going to be presentable to that holy God is if God smells a sweet-smelling savor about me. And I had no way to come up with that good smell. Only Jesus could give that to me and poured his life out upon me and became a sweet-smelling savor to the Heavenly Father for me. Has anybody in here ever been sprayed by a skunk? I'm just be honest. I'm going to say, hold your hands up. You know, let's see that. Yeah, you might want to kind of slide away from them just a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, or, or you know somebody close to you that was sprayed by skunk. Anybody else now? You've known of people like that? Yeah. How many knows um, what two gallons of tomato juice in a bathtub looks like? That's what I've heard. Tomato juice is supposed to, you know, help that... Uh, get that smell off of you and you just smell like a tomato skunk or something I guess did you want that guy in your house smelling like that you come in you ever drive over us are you the guy that's killing all these skunks on the road sometimes I see one of you is killing them all and I'm trying to dodge them but I've not dodged all of them and I caught one pretty good and it still had a bunch of that junk on it and I mean for the next 150 miles all I could smell was skunk I didn't want that thing in the house. I didn't want the odor coming in the house or around me. Well, here's what you need to know and understand. Jesus didn't just come to us and pour gallons of perfume on our old stink. He just erased it and put his own fragrance in its place. My wife has three or four really, really, really good uh, smelling perfumes, and she'll come walking past me and and uh, she'll have some of that real sweet smelling perfume on her and I'll just be honest with you I'll walk up to her and it makes me want to put my arm around her so that smells pretty good yep you know when God the Father has a sweet smelling savor of his own son upon us that makes him want to wrap his arms around us draw us close to him and take care of us like a like a God in heaven really wants to do. And he says to you and me, really and truly, sometimes we don't live it out in a practical way, but truly the stink in the heart is gone. And we have the essence of Jesus Christ. All of us that are saved, knowing Christ as Savior, have that essence of Jesus Christ about us. We ought to love one another in that way. Be thankful that that's what God did for me. And Jesus was willing to spread his goodness on me why can't I just do that for somebody else that seems to be obstinate or frustrating or maddening or whatever the word you've used with people, even in your marriage? Why can't I just spread my love on them? It's what Christ did for me. I didn't deserve that, but he did that for me. True godly love is best demonstrated in sacrificial loving of one another. And then to wrap it up, that thought about walking in love Paul sets some conditions on this kind of love. If you're going to love one another like this, listen to these conditions um, in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither uh, filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
There are just some things that a loving child of God are not supposed to demonstrate. There, you, you mimic God, yes, but mimic other things, no. Um, I, I'll tell you some devastating things every now and then that has happened to me. Now, one of those things that happened to me was I had been given some money uh, and I had begged mom and dad, can I just have X change, you know, uh, after school, all the kids go over to this little store and they come back with all this bubble gum and candy and stuff. And, and I said, can I just, I forget what I wanted, 25 cents or something. And finally was able to get that out of my mom or dad and went over to that little store and I came home and I was so excited. And, um, you'll believe in miracles after I tell you this story. Um, I bought a little pack of, uh, gum cigarettes it's the little white, they look like cigarette, <laughs> and it's got pink gum inside, and I came in the house, I was young, I, was young, I mean 17, but I, I came in the house, and I was like, mom, dad, watch this, and you blow on that, and the white stuff on the inside would come puffing out, and I said, watch this, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Now, you'll believe in miracles because I'm still here today, but um, didn't get the gum. I didn't get chew that gum. Uh, I, 25 cents may have been, just should have been thrown in the street. Um, and uh, yeah, pretty dumb to, to do something like that. You don't look like the world. You, we, don't, we don't act like that. Christians don't do that. And mom and dad was explaining this over and over to me. I mean, well, God's trying to tell us there in verse 3, there's just some things you don't do as a Christian. There are things you're supposed to mimic, and he's the God in heaven, but there's things in this life Christians just shouldn't do. And um, verse 3 lists sins of the body, bodily appetites that the flesh wants to, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. I, I mean, even the word covetousness is an overwhelming desire to have that which doesn't belong to you. Um, and, and all of these are actions of a, of a taker and not the sacrificial giver, like he tried to describe in the first two verses. Don't be like that, he says. Uh, and then you got into verse 4, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, which is not convenient, all right? And that deals with the sins of our tongue. And I know there's nobody in here that has a problem with your words, that all your words are sweet as honey, uh, and on and on. But James tells us in chapter 3 and verse 6 that the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members of our body that it defileth the whole body and it setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. Oh my goodness. I mean that because of the words that we say. So these words are described as filthy and foolish and, and jesting, all of which simply don't come up to the proper standard of Christ-like love. And one thing's for sure, for those who use their tongues in that manner are going to have a really hard time giving thanks to God after using filthy words and filthy whatever kind of words come out of our mouth and then trying to turn around and praise God like He commands us to do so. Verses 5 and 6, Paul simply tells us that it's the world that does those things. Verse 5 this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
Well, that's simply saying those who that marks their entire lifestyle. I realize Christians from time to time have done some of those things, but they get their heart right. But a lost man, that marks his life. That's what God is trying to say to us there. They live that kind of a lifestyle. And Christians have a whole new set of desires and a whole new set of motives that burn in their hearts, or at least it ought to burn in their heart. And we can't allow ourselves to be drawn back into our old ways by people who are either lost or are backslidden in their walk with God. I cannot allow my life to be drawn back into a life like that. I can't be an imitator of Christ and also act and live and talk just like the world. God says, I want you to be like dear children that truly and genuinely love me from their heart. And then we'll turn around to fellow Christians and will love them from their heart. So I think the obvious question, we wrap it up here today, is your love for the brethren readily seen or would it take some kind of an autopsy to even discern the love of the brethren in your life or for your wife or husband or your children or whatever it may be? If people watched your life and had to determine who you imitated in life, Would it be the love of Christ or the love of the world? What is it that others see in you? Eastside, when we look around at one another, husbands and wives and fellow church members, what do we see in each other? Do they see somebody imitating the life of a God that loved us and gave himself, laid his life down, allowed his sweet-smelling savor to be spread upon us, Or are we the demanding, this is the way it's got to be, and this is the way I'm going to live my life, no matter what you think about that? God help us, please, to be the kind of people, the kind of a church that is an imitator of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your head, if you will. Heads bowed, eyes closed.